You're listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Stephanie Clark. Steph has taught ESL in Korea, the Czech Republic, and in Spain, and she has traveled extensively in Europe and Asia. She completed her CELTA certification in 2016, achieving the coveted Pass A grade. Today, she's here to talk with us about what it's like to get started as an ESL teacher after completing a certification, adjusting to life abroad in various countries and cultures, and how she transitioned back into life and a teaching career in the States. So thanks for joining us. Hey, Steph, thanks for being here. Hey, Shannon, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Awesome. Well, I'm excited that you're here. Um, so to start, tell us just a little bit about yourself, maybe a little background what you do now, where you are geographically, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I am currently living in Bethesda, Maryland, um, suburb of Washington, D.C. Um, I'm 28 years old, and I taught ESL for um, five years right after graduating college um, in three different countries. And um, I now teach um, fourth grade at a small independent school in Bethesda, Maryland. So it's a self-contained classroom. So I teach like language arts, social studies, math, science, stuff like that. Great. All right. Yeah. So you've actually transitioned out of ESL teaching for the time being and are now just yeah, teaching in a yeah. public school. Yeah, I'm, I do miss ESL, but I, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to try um, non-ESL just to see what similarities are, what the difference is, and if I liked it. And, and it turns out I, I do love it. So um, yeah, I'm going to stick on this path for a while and see where it takes me. Wonderful. Okay, great. Uh, mm-hmm. So how did you get into ESL in the first place? Because I know before this, you've spent, as you said, quite a lot of time teaching abroad. Um, so what kind of got you into or got you interested in becoming an ESL teacher in the first place? Um, so I basically, since my sophomore year of high school, I had this like amazing teacher who changed my life. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then in college, I um, had a bunch of friends who, you know, had this like, study abroad experiences, or they had graduated and they were teaching abroad. And so I knew I, I definitely wanted to live abroad. So I figured the way to combine teaching and living abroad would be to do ESL. Um, so that's just sort of how it happened. And I'm glad it did. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what was your first trip abroad? My first trip abroad? Um, you mean like when I was uh, teaching or just like ever? Even, yeah, just ever, even traveling. Oh, um, wow. That's a really good question. I guess it would be, I think when I was like eight years old, I went to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> I haven't been back, but I'm like dying to go just to see like how how, like what I remember and how accurate it is and stuff like that. But um, my first like solo trip abroad was um, when I studied in college in France, uh, in Strasbourg, which is like right on the border of Germany. It's like this magical little town city. Excellent. I think the audio might have cut out there just a minute. What was the the city that you taught in? Um, oh, in traveled Stra- to, sorry. 
Uh, so that was uh, Strasbourg mm-hmm. uh, it's in, in France. It's, it's uh, right on the border of Germany. Excellent. All right. Um, and then your first actual teaching job abroad was in, was it in South Korea? Yeah, it was. So um, basically I went to high school and college in D.C. And I, by the end of it, I was just like, get me out of here. Like I'm ready for something <laughs> totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went on my university's um, career website, like the international page, and I clicked the first job that was posted, applied to it. I got it. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not applying to any more jobs. <laughs> so I, uh, that was in South Korea. So I moved to South Korea and I was planning on staying there for one year, but I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I ended up staying for three years. And then, um, and then I realized I loved ESL. So I moved back to DC. I got my CELTA from Teaching House. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to the Czech Republic, lived there for a year. And then moved to Granada, Spain, and lived there for a year. And then I just moved back to the States in July of 2018. Okay, wow. So about five years total. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So you've been all over the place, it sounds like. Um, And it's very adventurous that you, that first teaching job in South Korea, that you just kind of took the first job you found, picked a place, worked out, and ended up staying. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just um, I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't know anybody. It just DC mm-hmm. started to feel really small, um, and I wanted to wanted to change, wanted to meet a whole new group of people. So, it's very understandable. I think that's what draws a lot of people to this teaching abroad experience. Um, uh, yeah. 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 So you taught for a couple of years in South Korea. What then inspired you to get a teaching certification? Because obviously, you were able to find a job without one. Yeah. Um, so in South Korea, they don't require, um, at least most schools and companies don't require um, a an e, um, ESL teaching degree. Um, but in um, a lot of other countries, they do. So I knew I wanted to go to Europe after Korea. And um, I found that the Czech Republic was one of the easier places to go as an American. Um, and, the, and almost every company in school requires, um, an, uh, ESL certificate. Um, so, uh, that's why I decided to do it. Okay. So you actually picked the place that you wanted to go first, or well, I guess I second destination. Continents. I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to go to Europe and, um, I knew that the certification would be crucial for working in Europe. Absolutely. Okay. So tell us about teaching in the Czech Republic. What was your experience like? What was culture like? What was your job like? Yeah. um, So that, uh, I found the job through TEFL.com and I taught for a private company called um, JCL, James Cook Languages, which it was, um, so basically this time I was, um, in South Korea I was teaching kids, but in, in Prague I was teaching adults. So I worked for this private company and then throughout the day I would go to many different private companies um, to teach private lessons to individuals or small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it was really fun because I just basically got to hang out with friends the whole day, you know, um, just kind of like chatting and traveling around and seeing the city. Um, but I did miss, um, sort of like having my own classroom and mm-hmm. being so, but, um, for the culture in Prague, it's, um, it's very hippie. There's a lot of hanging out outdoors, um, when the weather's nice. So obviously not in winter, it's brutally <laughs> Um, it's lots of delicious Czech beer and, um, 
Czech food, Czech food is pretty heavy, um, but still very tasty. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like a very, it's a very like chill vibe in the city. It's like people just on, on the weekends, you just go to the parks and people are just hanging out, like having picnics and stuff like that. Oh, that sounds really nice. Yeah. So I know, I don't know. Okay. Maybe you can confirm this. So something we often talk about is, um, in Asia, often like in a country like South Korea, for example, it's easier to make more money, maybe find a higher paying job, save more money versus in Europe. Often the norm seems to be that you can make enough money to, to make a good living wage, but you're probably not going to be saving as much. Did you find that to be the case or was it different? No, I completely agree. That's very accurate what you just said. Um, I was able to save um, quite a bit of money in while I was working in Korea so I could um, spend about three months traveling around Southeast Asia. Um, and when I was in the Czech Republic and in Spain, um, I was basically earning just enough to, you know, um, like live there. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't great for, you know, like paying back student loans, things like that. Um, but it was, it's sort of, that's sort of part of the allure, I think is, you know, like scraping by and everyone's in it together, sort of, you know, waiting until that paycheck and then you all go out together and celebrate. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's necessarily like a bad thing. It's just different from Asia. Um, yeah. I yeah. felt a the little one- bit like that teaching in Budapest, I think teaching in Europe, um, Central Europe or Eastern Europe, especially you do sort of get that romanticized feeling of this old city cobblestone streets and drinking cheap beer in pubs and things like that. Yeah. I, and there's definitely something to be said about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say about Prague that was like a little bit of a tough adjustment for me was um, that I had difficulty making Czech friends at first. Like definitely there's a really good expat group there. Um, so there's a lot of people to hang out with, but um, Czech people I found were like kind of very Slavic, um, mm-hmm. not, not to like generalize a whole na- nation, but um, so like I sort of thought back to the, um, was it the World Cup where they had to teach um, the Russian people like how to smile? Did you ever hear about that? <laughs> no, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, it was like on the news how like they had to teach Russian people how to smile. And that's sort of like how I kind of felt in Prague. It's like a lot of Czech people like didn't really smile unless they had a need to. And so as an American, you know, where we we talked to strangers on the street and we smile naturally. Like that was sort of an adjustment for me. But um, once I sort of realized that's how it worked, then I sort of changed my expectations. And then I realized actually these are very friendly people. They just don't show it like in the same way that Americans do, you know? Right. It's just expressed differently. It's just something to get used to. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So then Spain, what did you feel were the big differences between working in Prague and working in Spain? Um, Spain is culturally, I feel like it's much more similar to America and that people are very warm and, um, welcoming to strangers, um, pretty like, you know, bubbly, I guess, very like touchy. Like they don't, they'll come give you a hug, even if they don't know you. Whereas like in Prague or especially in Korea, that would never happen. (laughs) You know, it's Mm -hmm. very much about like personal things like that. Um, so let me think. And then I guess another main difference in Spain was um, siesta hours. Like everything shuts down, especially if you live in a small town. Like I was in Granada. Mm-hmm. Um, in Madrid, I don't know if it's the same, but in, in Granada and the other small cities around Spain, like 
to basically 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., nothing is open, um, which is nice because you're not working then. So you get to like go home and like have a little break, hang out with your friends. But it's also like you can't really get anything accomplished. Don't plan on doing your grocery shopping during that time. <laughs> right. It's not like you can leave work and go run some errands. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was your job there? Like, were you teaching young learners again or were you still working with adults? Um, so in Spain, I was with um, Primaria, which is uh, I, was, I was working with uh, first and second grade. Um, which were maybe a little bit too young for me, mm-hmm. um, but it was fun to have like a a change from in Prague where I was teaching adults. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what was your schedule like in each of the places? So, actually, if you want to start back with um, South Korea, maybe kind of walk us through what your schedule looked oh, like, yeah. what a typical day looked like in terms of hours, workload, all of that. Yeah, that was definitely one of the weirdest parts um, about working in Korea um, because so basically um, kids all kids go to school from the normal school hours so eight to three and then um, I don't know about outside of Seoul but in in Seoul in the capital city um, I would say the vast majority of students go to academies in the evening oh so some of them go to academies you know twice a week um, and some of them go to academies five times a week so academies are from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. or 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. So I taught at an academy, which meant my teaching hours were, uh, my classroom hours were from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, okay. Which was a bit of an adjustment at first, um, but I grew to love it because um, after 10 p.m., all the coworkers go out together, go to the bar, or go get like a really late dinner. You know, mm-hmm. you stay up until 1 a.m. and then you sleep until noon the next day and then prep before your class. So interesting. It's, it's yeah. very different, but you know, once you figure out how it works, like it's, it's fun. So, right. You just adjust to that evening schedule. So yeah. for the kids that you were working with, work are academies basically like after school programs then? Yes. So they're um, doing they're, like their normal public school work during the day. And then an option yeah. for this after school program is to have like, were they intensive right. English classes basically? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. so the classes are three hours long, which to me seems crazy for, you know, like a 12-year-old to sit it through. It does. Um, and so, but you can go to Academy for English. You can go to like Violin Academy. You can go to um, like Math Academy. Um, there's all sorts of different, it's basically like what the tiger mom wants her kid to focus on, you know? Mm-hmm. I see. Um, yeah. Ultimately, that's sort of why I ended up leaving Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt sort of bad contributing to an educational system that I like didn't want to raise my kid in, you know, like a lot of my 12 year olds would say like, Oh, I got five hours or six hours of sleep last night. I'd be like, that's, that's not enough sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's intense. Yeah. So it's, it is pretty, it's pretty intense for the kids, the school system, but Mm -hmm. it's also rewarding because you see them improve so quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's so hard. Absolutely. Okay, and then what did your schedule look like? Look like um, by comparison in Prague. Um, so in Prague, I think it was about my earliest class was at seven a.m. No, wait, eight a.m. I think. Um, and uh, I the my latest class went until six p.m. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very sporadic, you know, because you'd be traveling around to different companies throughout the day. So. Um, I could have like a four hour break in between um, classes at almost some point. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in Spain, it was, I think, um, about 8 a.m. until about 2 p.m. Oh, sorry. My dad's just dying. What's up, Doug? <laughs> okay, sure. Thank you. <laughs> He's asking me to walk. <laughs> the joys of living with your parents. Again. <laughs> That's uh, all right. So, uh, yeah. So in Spain, it was, I think it was about 8 to 2. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, a school ends at 2 because of siesta and then so I guess that's kind of nice for Spanish teachers <laughs> right so you just get that break yeah nice. like you're, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay excellent um so going back to Korea I feel like we talked about Prague and we talked about Spain and what living there was like um you talked about definitely what your work schedule is like in Korea and what it was like for the kids certainly what was it like for you yeah. as a teacher living there um it's it's without a doubt hands down my favorite place I've taught um people um they just love foreigners like they mm-hmm. you know my my kids always wanted to like they just wanted to know every detail about what it's like in America um a lot of my kids wanted to like take photos with me um I found out that they have like very interesting ways of like complimenting you like one of my one of my first uh weeks there one of my students said like teacher your face is so small I was like um okay and so my Korean friend later she's like oh that's a huge compliment like because in Korea you want to have a small face I was like okay (laughs) interesting that's really interesting Um, but yeah they uh they they love foreigners and it's very um it's very easy to get by because um Koreans in the city or in Seoul I guess um they're very good at English, um, especially the younger population. So um, if you ever get lost in Seoul, ask a young person for directions, not an old person, because the old people are less likely to speak English. But mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Okay, wow. So um, in terms of your teaching and maybe what difference having a certification made in your teaching and how you felt about your teaching – I don't know if you have a good comparison because you were teaching kids in Seoul versus adults in the Czech Republic. So there's already kind of a difference there. But -hmm. would you say you noticed a difference in your confidence level or your skill level with teaching after getting a a CELTA certification? Yeah. Um, I think there's sometimes like a stigma against um, people who teach ESL abroad. At least maybe, maybe that was in my head, but I sometimes felt like people would say like, oh, like you're not a real teacher or something. Like yeah. I think I sort of that from people. Yeah. And I definitely feel like once I got my certification, it was sort of my way of proving to other people and myself, like actually I am a real teacher. Like this is what I do and I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it definitely helped me to feel more comfortable and confident in the classroom to be able to have like an organized format of like a, the way lessons are supposed to progress, you know. And it helps in interviews to be able to say that you have certification. I think you probably get more job offers if you have that certification. It's funny you talk about the stigma of people not thinking that you're a real teacher when you teach abroad. I encountered a little bit of that too. Um, When I first started teaching in Budapest, I had just come from getting a CELTA certification also, which I was quite proud of and ready to teach and really excited to dive into grammar lessons and all of that. And um, Mm -hmm. before I started teaching 
like the first day of some of my classes before the class had really started as the students were kind of filing in and they were adults. I was teaching adults. They would say things like, so are you a real teacher or do you just like traveling? And it was, yeah, it happens. And it's kind of funny because I think about all the other professions out there and you think, okay, in what other profession is that a normal question to ask? Like, so are you a real doctor or do you just like wearing a stethoscope, you know? (laughs) Um, but then you meet other teachers who don't have a certification and are just kind of backpacking their way from teaching job to teaching job and don't really know anything about the grammar or the lesson structure and then Mm -hmm. it makes sense why students say that because they've had experiences with teachers like that and I think I sort of I definitely felt that a lot when I was in Spain because um so the Spanish program that I did was through the government it's called the auxiliar program Mm -hmm. um and basically their um, criteria for accepting their English teachers is essentially like first come first serve. Um, it, it, the only thing that will disqualify you is I think if you like have like a DUI on your record or something. So um, I was really excited to teach in Spain because it's somewhere I've always wanted to live. And um, when I got there, I realized that essentially what you were just saying is that a lot of um, a lot of the people didn't really care much about teaching. They just wanted to live in Spain. So it was, um, it was sort of hard for me to prove to the school that I'm actually a teacher and like I want mm-hmm. to create my own lessons because I think there was this sort of expectation that I'm just coming to like, you know, get a free ride. So right. that was sort of hard to like to fight against a little bit. And I think that's an interesting point to make is that if you're set on a location, definitely, like you said, for you, the important thing was being in Spain. But then on top of that, you also knew what you were doing as a teacher because you had done a really good certification course. So mm-hmm. you were very confident in that, whereas other teachers were just kind of showing up and doing whatever they needed to do to get through their lesson until they could go hang out. Right. Um, but I think it's something to yeah. note if you are listening and you're looking for a teaching job, that's an indication often of what kind of colleagues you'll be working with is um, what kind of certification the school requires. So if they're not really looking for certified teachers, you can sort of get a sense of what your colleagues are going to be like in terms of maybe taking the work part a lot less seriously versus um, one of the benefits, I think, of looking at a school where they do require certifications, your colleagues are going to be more at that same level of, of really is, wanting to teach good lessons. That's a good point. And I, I, looking back on it, I think I wish, I wish I had sort of thought about that part of it um, before mm-hmm. I gone abroad. Cause that's, that's very true. I'm sure your colleagues learned a lot from you, but it's probably frustrating for you from a professional so. development standpoint that you're not really getting that same development. Um, if you're just surrounded by people who are kind of there just to be there. And I think that's um a lot of a lot of my friends are still in Spain right now um but I decided to come back just because I sort of felt like the program that I was in there wasn't a lot of room for professional growth because Mm -hmm. you are basically an assistant teacher and um you're 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 just like a helper you know I mean auxiliar that's essentially what it means so yeah I think a lot of my friends were happy with that because they don't they didn't foresee a career in education when they came back to the States, whereas I did. So it wasn't really, wasn't really helping me grow, but, but private academies, um, international schools, like I'm sure people would have a very different experience in Spain. Right. I think it's all about what you want to prioritize. So location is definitely one thing, but then it's just another factor to consider is professional development opportunities. Um, you know, what your coworkers will be like, 
and how much you want to work, how seriously you want to take your job. There's a whole range out there of, um, you know, schools that are going to give you tons and tons of good professional development and are also going to have really high expectations in terms of what your lessons look like. And then as you were talking about schools that will have lower expectations and then you're probably not going to grow nearly as much professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you did do a CELTA course, um, mm-hmm. before you went and taught in Prague and, um, in Granada, um, and you actually achieved the coveted pass A on your CELTA, which is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so what advice would you give somebody about to take a CELTA? Um, well, it is a huge endeavor, um, especially if you're packing it into the four week, um, program. Uh, it's, I would say, get organized your first day, um, write down every single deadline, um, uh, that you have, um, on a, on like a month long calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, I would say use your classmates as, um, a resource, like have study groups, um, get, I bounce ideas off each other. Um, and also just, you know, vent with each other, like <laughs> way to decompress is to, to remember like to be human and to like not spend all your time preparing. I love that. (laughs) As a CELTA trainer, I would always tell my candidates to work together as much as they could, because I do feel like just from my point of view, watching my candidates, um, the most successful individuals tend to be in the groups where people work together the most, but it's nice hearing (laughs) that from the other side. Oh yeah, for sure. I wouldn't have been able to survive if not for Teresa and Salim and all those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, so you said, it sounds like you're saying the course is intense. Um, <laughs> what were some things that you felt like were particularly challenging about the course? So for somebody who doesn't really know what happens on a CELTA course, what would you say makes it so intense? Um, I think, um, well, from the beginning, there are pretty high expectations set. You know, it's, it's a mm-hmm. certification coming from Cambridge, so there are there's a bar that you have to reach to pass. Um, and I think that um, that first lesson that you teach um, is uh, there's a lot there's a lot of pressure there because you know your students are watching, your trainers watching, your your classmates who are also getting the certification are watching. So there's a lot of pressure to um, do well in that first one, and also every lesson you teach basically. Um, it's like all the all the pressure of being a teacher to a normal classroom, but also with people judging you, you know. Um, right. And for anyone listening who doesn't really know what the CELTA course is like, it's basically there are real students, ESL students, that the center has recruited that you get to practice teaching on, basically. So you have a classroom of actual ESL students, and on most courses you start teaching on the second day of the course. So it's a lot mm-hmm. to stand up there and start teaching before you even feel very confident at all that you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also leaves you with such a feeling of achievement, you know, after you've, <laughs> after you've finished it. It's very, very hands-on. Um, what would you say were some of the most helpful things about the CELTA course? Like, what do you feel like you gained in terms of your teaching ability by getting this certification? Hmm. Um, so about halfway through the course, I started using the... Um, PDF files that you guys had. And I was like, maybe mm-hmm. I should these out. And they were incredibly helpful. So I 
you know, grab my thumb drive and put all those PDF files on my phone. <laughs> so, yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> so access to resources basically is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then I think also just talking to the trainer and um, because for there are just so many different ways to teach one thing. Like for, for as many students as there are to learn, there are that many ways to teach something. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, talking to the trainers and sort of figuring out another way to teach something that's maybe a little bit different than what's set out in the book, you know, that says to teach it. So that's an interesting point. I think for a lot of teachers, that's a struggle. And that's definitely a huge difference that I notice when I observe classes and the teacher is not CELTA certified or hasn't gotten really good hands-on training versus the teachers who have. Um, if you haven't gotten really good training, it's really easy to just kind of go down the book page exercise after exercise, because you don't really know any other way. You don't really know how to lift that off the page and make it into a really useful interactive lesson for the students. Um, and I think that's absolutely something that you not only get to do on the CELTA course, but you kind of have to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. So is there anything you wish you'd known before you went and taught abroad? Um, I think I probably underestimated, um, how much of a time commitment it is to teach and Mm -hmm. not only just to teach, but to teach ESL. Um, so, you know, you can at times be stretched very thin. Um, so I, I, looking back on it, I appreciate all the work that my teachers put into building their lessons, um, because I didn't really realize how much time really goes into preparing your lessons. And of course, like as the years go on, it gets easier because you're teaching the same lessons. Um, but, um, even now, like six years into teaching my day never ends when the bell rings, you know, of course, (laughs) absolutely. Oh, and the other thing that I wish I knew, not that I wish I knew, but some, um, another teacher told me this, um, a few years ago and I loved it. Um, she said that students won't always remember what you taught them or the content, but they'll remember that they'll remember the way that you made them feel. So I think that's sort of a way that I try to approach my classes every day um, to say, like, this could be the day that this student will remember, um, you know, years down the line. So I try to like, you know, put on a happy face and be my best for that student. I love that. And I love that it, to me, kind of seems to have two meanings. One is is that attitude, that connection, that rapport that you're building with the students and how important that is. You know, that your students are humans first before students. Yeah. Um, but then also I like that if you think about it in a sense of teaching the lesson that you can teach this grammar point, but is the student really going to remember that versus mm-hmm. if you're somehow able to personally engage them in learning that particular grammar, that particular vocabulary you know, you teach it in a way that's fun or that's engaging or that's more hands-on, they're probably much more likely to remember that than just the facts that you're teaching them. Definitely. So you've transitioned now um, from abroad, as you said, back to living in the States and um, Mm -hmm. actually teaching kids in the States. Um, What was that transition like? Was it sort of difficult to come back from abroad and find a job? Because I think that's something that people are sometimes concerned about is, you know, if they go and sort of take a year or two teaching overseas, how are they going to come back and transition into a career here? Um, so yeah, that, uh, I think, um, 
people always mention reverse culture shock. And I do think that that is a thing, especially the first time that you come back after being abroad. Um, and I've come back quite a few times now from being abroad, um, moving back and then moving back abroad and then moving back and then moving back abroad. But now that I'm back, I think, um, for good, it, it can be a little hard because most of my very close friends don't live in the States. Um, they're still living abroad. Um, many of them in the cities that I, I left them in. So, you know, in our group chats and when I see photos on social media, I, I do get FOMO a lot. <laughs> but I just, um, I think the way to sort of solve that problem is just to plan a lot of vacations in the future. You know, some of us are just meant to be travelers and see many different places. So I just got to, you know, get the travel bug out of me by traveling. So Absolutely. That's probably one of the biggest benefits and then also biggest downsides about this um, yeah. this field. I think you meet so many amazing people and then it seems like you're always having to say goodbye to them. Right. Um, <laughs> but great yeah. to be able to keep in touch and have places that you can go visit. So, And I think the transition has been easier um, for me than some of my other friends because I'm still staying in the educational field. Mm -hmm. um, but I do know a lot of people who um, were teaching ESL and have come back to do totally different things um, besides ESL um, in the States. And I think um, the way so their their experiences abroad have really been an asset to them in, in, the, um, in the interview process because they're able to shape their experiences as um, – like a way that they've built like their identity capital and, and it really makes them sort of stand apart from their um, competitors that they, this makes them different. And even though it might not have to do exactly with what they're applying for now, you know, in, you know, PR or something, they're able to sort of use those things that they've learned abroad um, and sort of make it, make it work for their new career. That's good to hear. Yeah. It shows a certain, character, a certain courage, maybe a certain adventurousness or self-reliance. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. So in general, what would you say were your favorite things about working in ESL, being a TEFL um, teacher, and what were maybe some of your not so favorite things? <clears throat> hmm. uh, my favorite thing, I think, teaching ESL um, has to do with teaching um, ESL to adults um, in general. Um, but it's also true of ES, um, ESL students who are younger. Um, but it would be that most of the time, your ESL students are there because they want to be there. Um, they are so much fun to teach because they're engaged. You know, this is not like some high schooler sitting through a chemistry class. This is someone who is trying to learn English because it's going to drastically improve the quality of their life. Um, so it really sort of made my life easier and more enjoyable teaching something to students who want to learn, you know. Absolutely. Also, um, the um, in general, ESL has smaller class sizes, so you're able to get to know your students as individuals, like much easier than you are in a, in a non-ESL class. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And anything you didn't love about working in ESL or that you feel like people should should really consider before they get into that field? Um, I think I touched on it a little bit before, but it's um, when I was abroad, I sometimes felt like I was, you know, like not to say this, but I guess falling behind um, my friends back in the States who were, you know, like getting settled and moving up in their fields and taking their 
career progression seriously while I was sort of, you know, moving around to different countries and loving my life and having tapas and drinking wine. And, (laughs) you know, it almost felt like it wasn't real life. Um, So, but I, that was something I had to grapple with to say like, this is not, I'm not falling behind. Um, I, I'm building my identity capital. Like I'm, you know, I'm improving myself. So that was, that was something that was maybe tough for me a little bit, but worth it. That's a really nice way to put it. And I do know what you mean. When you first say it, like, oh, while they were working on their career and doing this and this, I was just gallivanting around the world, <laughs> you know, drinking wine and eating tapas. It kind of sounds like, oh, poor you. But I do know exactly yeah. what you mean in that I had a similar sense when I was abroad that I felt like I was having all of these experiences. But somehow it still sort of felt to me like everything at home would kind of freeze. Like I, mm-hmm. I forgot that everything at home... And in the States with my friends, family, everybody I grew up with was still moving along at the same pace. Right. And so it it was a little bit shocking at times to come back and see, I guess, the trajectory that other people had taken. And then in the meantime, I was having these amazing experiences, certainly developing professionally in what definitely has become my field. Um, But yeah, it's almost like time kind of freezes for you, but it it really does. And you realize that when you come back. Yeah, that's 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 the perfect way of putting it. I've been trying to think of how to explain it. And yeah, it does feel like time kind of freezes. Mm-hmm. So it's, I really like the way you put it in terms of building your identity capital and building these experiences that you can then leverage into so many different things, so many different fields. But I think it is good to be aware that, you know, life in the States is going to keep moving for everybody. And so you sort of have to hit the ground running when you come back. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just for fun, do you have a favorite travel destination, even if it's somewhere that you've never uh, lived or worked? Um, I have thought about this extensively. <laughs> and the answer changes pretty much on a daily basis. But, it's a big question. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite place, if I could go back anywhere that I've been right now, um, it would be to the Philippines. Um, because I, I really think that there is something for everyone there. Um, you know, you can go live like a the quiet island life in Cebu and so it's very tranquil and calm and laid back or you can you know take a short plane to Boracay and go party with a bunch of like post-college kids or you can go to Manila and have the city life and eat lots of street food um and I feel like everywhere you go in the Philippines it's just they're so friendly um so it's just I feel like it has something for everyone it's great it's a great place okay I'm gonna have to book a ticket I've never been there it sounds awesome (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for for talking with us, for sharing all of your wisdom and your experience. It was really great to get to catch up with you. Yeah. Um, I thought of um, something else, actually, that I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. Um, So my younger brother um, just returned back. Yes. He just returned yesterday from um, studying abroad in Madrid. Oh, welcome. And um, yeah, I'm glad to have him back. But when he left, um, I sort of I mentioned to him that, you know, like I said, Brendan, it's okay for you not to love the city as soon as you get there. I feel like people, you're going to feel a lot of pressure um, to love it immediately because your friends and family are going to be saying like, oh my God, how amazing is it? Like you're living the dream life and you might be um, homesick. You might sort of feel like you don't belong. You might not have friends immediately, but like, I think it's totally normal to not love somewhere right when you start and like you can grow to love it after some time you know 
That's such good advice. And I do think that's a common thing for a lot of people who go abroad, especially for the first time, or even any time you move to a new city abroad or, or in the States, but especially abroad, because I think you feel so much further away from home. Yeah. Um, and you just feel so much pressure to like live this fantastic life yes. that people are telling you to live, you know? Right. It's like you expect that you'll go there and you'll just instantly love it. And maybe that is the experience for some people, but for a lot of mm-hmm. people, it, it takes some adjustment. Right. Yeah. So sometimes even if you don't love it at first, there's that sort of hump you have to get over of a little bit of homesickness, a little bit of newness and discomfort to then really find where you fit in and and really sort of um, get into your groove with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a really great note to end on. Thank you. I'm glad you you shared that with us. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, Steph, this was great. Thank you again so much for being here. It was wonderful to have you as a guest. You, Shannon. It was great catching up. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.